Okay, we're getting into the book of Leviticus again. Uh, don't worry that we're going to finish all chapters. So at this rate, we're moving. So Leviticus chapter 1, starting at verse 2. Let's get in the Word of God. Ready? Read from the ESV. I'll read through verse 17 to the end, and then we will pray. You know, I'm going to read from verse 1. Why not? We'll start verse 1. Leviticus 1. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron and the priests shall put fire on the altar, arrange the wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces. This is going to get nice and graphic. The head and the fat on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his gift for a burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or goats, he shall bring a male without blemish, and he shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar, and he shall cut it into pieces with its head and its fat, and the priests shall arrange them on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But the entrails and the legs he shall wash with water." And the priest shall offer all of it and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or pigeons. The priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar. He shall remove its crop with its contents and cast it beside the altar on the east side in the place for ashes. He shall tear it open by its wings, but shall not sever it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. That was the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you... uh, for all of your word, even these texts that are like, what is going on? Um, God, we believe that this is this word that we just read is living, it's active. Uh, we believe it actually is useful to teach us what it means to follow you. Uh, so would you just help us, God, help us if we're tired, if we're stressed, if our brains are fried. Um, help us, Lord, to listen and hear and learn about you. We love you. We thank you that we can be here together just to, to gather around you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that was uh, an interesting bit of scripture. I, my guess is maybe most of you haven't read or if you have, you're just like, okay, I'm gonna skip and you just kind of like read through, oh my gosh, chapter two, three, four. It's all just offerings, what is happening. And, and honestly, like, I think that's an okay reaction. When you read something like that to be like, what is going on? Like there's blood, there's cutting things in pieces. There's wringing off of heads, just blood being thrown on things. Remember when it said just throw the blood on the sides of the altar, Uh, like washing intestines and the legs, and then just burning it all. Uh, If you, like, so if if you're a vegetarian or if you don't eat meat or if you're, like, animal rights, the next, like, six chapters will be really difficult. Maybe maybe just come back in, I don't know, six weeks. That's okay. Uh, But there's going to be a lot of blood. There's going to be a lot of like, what is happening? Um, and so I was, I was going to like try and explain it, but there, there's this thing called the Bible Project, these guys based in Portland, Oregon, and they do these little videos 
that are like really helpful. And they did one on Leviticus. So this is just going to help. This is going to do a way better job than I could at like what is happening right now. So we have a quick little like catch you up on Leviticus that we're going to watch. And then we will get into it. I think we have it on the screen. Yeah, thanks. The book of Leviticus. It's the third book of the Bible, and it's set right after the exodus of the Israelites from their slavery, when God brought them to the foot of Mount Sinai and invited Israel into a covenant relationship. Now, they had quickly rebelled and broke that covenant, and God had wanted for his glorious presence to come and live right in the midst of Israel in the form of this tabernacle. But Israel's sin has damaged the relationship. So, at the end of the previous book, Exodus, Moses, as Israel's representative, could not even enter God's presence in the tent. The book of Leviticus opens by reminding us of this fundamental problem. It says, the Lord called to Moses from the tent. So the question is, how can Israel, in their sin and selfishness, be reconciled to this holy God? That's what this book is all about, how God is graciously providing a way for sinful, corrupt people to live in his holy presence. Now, let's pause for a second and explore this really important idea that God is holy. It's fundamental to understanding this book. The word holy means simply to be set apart or unique. And in the Bible, God is set apart from all other things because of his unique role as the creator of all, as the author of life itself. And so if God is holy, then the space around God is also holy. It's full of his goodness and his life and purity and justice. So if Israel, who is unjust and sinful, wants to live in God's holy presence, they too need to become holy. Their sin has to be dealt with. Thus, the book of Leviticus. Now, the book has a really amazing symmetrical design. It explores the three main ways that God helps Israel to live in his presence. The outer sections are descriptions of the rituals Israel was to practice in God's holy presence. The next inner sections focus on the role of Israel's priests as mediators between God and Israel. And inside of that are two matching sections that focus on Israel's purity. And then right here at the center of the book, there's a key ritual, the Day of Atonement, that brings the whole book together. The book concludes with a short section where Moses calls on Israel to be faithful to this covenant. Let's dive into the book. The first section explores the five main types of ritual sacrifices that Israel was to perform. Two of these were ways that an Israelite could say thank you to God by offering back to God these symbolic tokens of what God has first given them. Three other sacrifices were different ways of saying sorry to God. So here an Israelite would offer up the lifeblood of an animal while confessing that their sin has created more evil and death in God's good world. But instead of destroying this person, God, of course, wants to forgive them. And so this animal symbolically dies in their place and atones, which means it covers for their sin. And so through these rituals, the Israelites were constantly being reminded of God's grace, but also of his justice and of the seriousness of their evil and its consequences. The second set of rituals lays out the seven annual feasts of Israel. And each of these retold a different part of the story about how God redeemed them from slavery in Egypt and brought them through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And by celebrating these feasts regularly, Israel would remember who they were and who God was to them. Now, the sections about Israel's priests, you have Aaron and his sons first ordained to enter into God's presence on behalf of Israel. And then in this matching section, we find the qualifications for being a priest. The priests were called to the highest level of moral integrity and ritual holiness because they represented the people before God, but then also represented God to the people. Now, we find out why the priest's holiness matters so much back here in this first section. Right after the family of Aaron was ordained, two of his sons waltz right into God's presence and flagrantly violate the rules. And so they are consumed by God's holiness on the spot. It's a haunting reminder of the paradox of living in God's holy presence because it's pure goodness, but it becomes dangerous to those who rebel and insult God's holiness. And so it's important that Israel's priests become holy and also that all of the people of Israel become holy, which is what the next intersections are all about. 
Chapters 11 through 15 are about the ritual purity required of all the Israelites, and chapters 18 through 20 are about the moral purity of the people. Here's what's underneath all of this purity and impurity language. Because God is holy and he's set apart, the Israelites need to be in a state of holiness themselves when they enter into his presence. This was called being clean or pure. God's presence was off limits to anybody who was not in a holy state, and this was called being unclean or impure. Now, an Israelite could become impure in just a few ways, by contact with reproductive body fluids, by having a skin disease, by touching mold or fungus, or by touching a dead body. Now, for the Israelites, all of these were associated with mortality, with the loss of life, which gets us to the core symbol of all these ideas. You become impure when you're contaminated by touching death so to speak. And death is the opposite of God's holiness because God's essence is life. Now this is really key. Simply being impure was not sinful or wrong. Touching these kinds of things was a normal part of everyday life. And impurity was a temporary state. It just lasted a week or two and then it's over. What was wrong or sinful was to waltz into God's presence carrying these symbols of death and impurity on my body. Don't do that. Now, the last way of becoming impure was by eating certain animals. And the kosher food laws are found right here in this section. Now, there have been lots of theories about why certain animals were considered impure and off-limits to promote hygiene or to avoid cultural taboos. The text just isn't explicit. But the basic point of all of these chapters is really clear. Altogether, these work as an elaborate set of cultural symbols that remind Israel that God's holiness was to affect all areas of their lives. This corresponding section over here is about Israel's moral purity. The Israelites were called to live differently than the Canaanites. They were to care for the poor instead of overlooking them. They were to have a high level of sexual integrity, and they were to promote justice throughout their entire land. Now here at the center of the book, we find a long description of one of Israel's annual feasts, the Day of Atonement. Odds are that not every Israelite's sin and rebellion would be covered through the individual sacrifices. And so once a year, the high priest would take two goats. One of these would become a purification offering and atone for the sins of the people. And the other was called the scapegoat. The priest would confess the sins of Israel and symbolically place them on this goat, and then it would be cast out into the wilderness. Again, this is a very powerful image of God's desire to remove sin and its consequences from his people so that God can live with them in peace. The book concludes with Moses calling Israel to be faithful to all of the terms of the covenant. And he describes the blessings of peace and abundance that will result if Israel obeys all of these laws. He also warns them that if they're unfaithful and dishonor God's holiness, it will result in disaster and ultimately exile from the land promised Abraham. Now, if you want to see how Leviticus fits into the big storyline, it's helpful to look at the first sentence of the next book of the Bible, numbers. It begins, the Lord spoke to Moses in the tent. So we can see that Moses is now able to enter God's presence on behalf of Israel. The book of Leviticus, it worked. So despite Israel's failure, God has provided a way for their sin to be covered so that God can live with sinful people in peace. And that's what the book of Leviticus is all about. See, they... They're smart. They, they know things. So there's like a really big picture. It just helps. Maybe you're like, okay, what is going on? What are we learning about? Why Leviticus? But here's, here's what I want to talk about tonight. So as we read through Leviticus, as we read through these different like rituals or, or like holidays or different things like that, there are actually like so many hidden gems about who the Lord is, about who we are, about what it means if like I want to be I want to be a person who follows Jesus. What does that mean for my life? What does it look like in society? Uh, because even, even from that video, like what Israel was doing was really weird and unique to the world. Like, why are you doing what you're doing? And God was so specific. There's laws like you can't uh, wear mixed cotton. Like, what the heck? Why God? What, what, are you, what are you doing? And there's this point that God wanted, wants, and, and it translates to us now. He wants you to be different. He wants us to be set apart, but for a reason. Like, why does God want you to be set apart? Why would he want us to be different? And it's actually not, because here's like where we go, like, 
and Israel would do it. Yeah, we're, we're awesome. We got this. God's with us. And the nations are like um, over them. But the Lord from the beginning is like, I want you to be holy and set apart so that you can actually go and bless the world. So that the, you, as you live in the midst of the world and as everyone's walking around with their mixed cotton and you're like, why aren't you wearing a mixed cotton? You can be like, hey, there's actually this God I want to tell you about. There's someone who, is, who is, can save you and can bring you near to him. And so this like, it's weird, but it's for the, the purpose of blessing the world. And, and so as we re- read Leviticus, there are these, all these little gems of like, God, why did you do that? Why do you want us to be different? And it's for the sake of the world. And so Leviticus chapter one is the first offering. It's the first like, of the five offerings. Uh, and it's, it's the most important one. It's the most common one. They were doing it even before Leviticus happened. It's called the burnt offering. And here's just a couple quick points on the burnt offering. Uh, you had to bring either a bull, a goat, or lamb, or a bird. So like, why would you, so if you had a bull, you'd obviously like, why would you not just bring your bird and get like, keep your bull? And this is actually really sweet. The Lord wanted to be accessible to everybody. So if you were rich and you had a lot of cattle, you were supposed to bring like your best. So if you had a bull, you needed to bring a bull, but not everybody is, had the same amount of money. Not everyone had the same amount of wealth. So from the start, God is like, hey, if you are so poor, you don't have a bull, you don't have a lamb, you don't have a goat, I want to make a way for you to come be with me. Like from the beginning, God is like, I want to make a way. And so this offering is the most costly. All the other offerings, when, you would, when you'd offer it, usually you get to eat it or you get to enjoy it. And there's like a good part to it. Like you're not really missing out. On the burnt offering, you completely lose, you completely lose it. So it's like, here's your, one of your most expensive prized possessions. You give it to God and then you just watch the whole thing burn. Like what, and you just smell steak and no one eats it. And then that's it. It's this like costly thing. Like, Lord, you are worth it. I'm going to give you something that's really valuable. And, and I'm, and the whole thing is going to be consumed. There is this, this, part where you had to lay your hand on it. Why would you lay your hand on the animal? And it's the sense of like, I, like the video was talking about, I am not holy. I'm a sinful man, a sinful woman. And I'm actually like identifying this animal. This animal is now receiving all that I deserve. And so that animal receives your sin. And then you watch that animal like you watch that thing get slaughtered and the blood pours out and chopped into pieces and then burnt. And that's actually this picture of like, that's what I deserve. That's because God is holy and because I'm not. That's this such a graphic, gnarly, like, wow, I'm gonna, I'm experiencing what sin does. And then it says it would it'd be this pleasing aroma to the Lord. And, and it's practical too, because I mean, many people like the smell of steak or lamb cooking and it smells good and you don't get to eat it and you're watching it. But it's this symbol that when you offer this thing to God and it smells good, it's the sense of like the Lord saying, yeah, that's good. And I accept that. I accept it. And there's that, that word where it says, it shall be accepted to make atonement for him. It shall be accepted. So that's, that word is really, really important. Uh, and it actually speaks to a, a difficult truth. It speaks to the fact that before we have this thing to offer God, we are not accepted. Like, and, and we cannot approach God as we are. And that's, that's a hard truth right now to say. Like, and and the, the video was talking a lot about that. It's saying, hey, God is holy. He's, he's perfect. He's like the sun. And if you were to just want to fly your spaceship into it, like it wouldn't work out. It would, it would be consumed. And so there's in the book of Leviticus, there's this really high view of God and then a really honest view of humanity. And um, we love certain parts about God that, and they're just easy for us. And that's awesome. Like God is love. Yes. And amen. He is. And God is gracious. Yes. And amen. And he's merciful. But then there's these other things about God that can be really uncomfortable. Like, no, God is holy and he's perfect. And even Mother Teresa, with all of her good deeds, if she were to enter into the presence of God, like it wouldn't go well for her. Like every person is, is not holy. And that's, that's kind of a bummer. Like, why God, why would you make us not holy? And we know that started in the Garden of Eden when we rebelled against God. Like we, we became stained. And every person since then, every one of us, you and me, like we were actually born 
like a bad hand. We were born sinful and into iniquity. And, uh, and that's just a difficult thing. Like, okay, so God is perfect and holy and I am, am not. And I want us to at least look at the fact that if you, if you were to make, this sounds weird, but if you were to like, I'm gonna make religion and I wanna make a God. It is a good and right thing. We should want God to be holy. Like that's actually a good, right thing. Like if you were, if I were to give you $20,000, say, hey, go buy a new car. Would you go and there's this car and has a huge dent in it. You're like, I want that one. Is that like, no, you wouldn't do that, right? Like you would, you would get the, the car that is the best in the best shape. Like if you were the president of the United States, it would be better than our options. Sorry, I shouldn't, shouldn't say that. <laughs> Don't know why that's the... Um, if you were the president and you could appoint a judge, the head judge, Supreme Court judge, uh, you would probably appoint a judge who you knew like didn't take bribes, wasn't corrupt, couldn't be bought off. Like we know that. We know in our society, like we want a leader to be right and we want a judge to be right. And, and that's actually a really good thing. It's a good thing and a good and right thing that God is holy. Um, where it becomes a hard thing is when we begin to compare ourselves with something that is perfect and holy. And, and I think we know at, at the end of the day, we know like, I'm not holy, I'm not perfect. No one at the end of the day would be like, hey, I'm pretty good, but okay, yeah, I'm not perfect. We would, we would all give that uh, to the Lord. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm not perfect. And so there's this question at, in every human heart, like God's holy, it's a hard thing, it's, but okay, uh, I'm not holy. So then there's this question like, how can I be made right? with God? Like, how can I be accepted with God? And there's this thing in all of our hearts. Like, I, I long to be accepted by people, and, and I long to be accepted by God. And if you look at every religion, like, we're asking that question. Like, how can I be made right with God? Because I know I'm not holy, and like, I want to be accepted by God. And the good news is that Leviticus shows us from the very Early on in the story, God is holy and he's perfect and he's just. But here's the thing. He actually loves unholy things. Like, let that blow your mind. God is holy and he's perfect and he's like the sun and he's like, you can't come here. But he loves, he loves unholy things. And he's, and that's, that's us, that's humanity. He loves the world. And he looks at this broken world and he doesn't think that's disgusting. I don't want it. God is perfect and he's holy and we're not, but he has affection for the world. He loves people before they're made right with him. He loves them. And so he's like, I want to do something about that. And humans, we, we try to come up with our own ways. How can I be made right with God? Okay, do you know what? If I just do better than the people around me, I'll probably be made right with God. And, and like we live that way, right? And, and I look around and I feel, I can always find someone who's a little bit worse than me and I feel better. Or, or we're like, you know what, no, I'm just going to, if you ask someone, I'm just going to do a few more good things than bad things. That's been a bad week. Like, no, I'm going to do some good things. And when, when we do our good things, you like feel good. Like I can rest. I, I feel good about myself. Like we do silly things like that and we forget that we're like, we're trying to appease a perfect, holy God. And that's not going to work out like our little efforts. But what is awesome about the Lord of the Bible is he's like, I'm going to make a way. I'm going to actually do something for people to be made right with me. I love them even though they're not holy. And so from Leviticus, he's like, I want to make a way for you to be accepted by me. And, and there's this kind of fancy word, and it's the heart of how God has dealt with humanity. And it's this word called substitutionary atonement. It's kind of fancy, and we'll get into it. But here's the gist. Um, we sin, and we deserve to just be consumed or whatever, and it's, it doesn't go well. And God from the beginning, from Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve sin, right? And they had to leave the garden and, and there was consequences, but what did God do from the very beginning? That we went and we hid and we tried to cover ourselves up with fig leaves. That's like, I'm gonna put my works together and cover myself so I feel better. I think we all do that. We all, when we sin, we're like, crap, let me go do this thing, let me cover myself. How can I cover myself and feel better? That's, that's like fig leaves. We do that. And God comes to Adam and Eve, and that's radical because he's like, I, I'm going to go after you. And he's calling to them, and he finds them, and he looks at the fig leaves, and he's like, what are you wearing? And he kills an animal, 
and he skins it and he covers them. And he's like, wear this, this is better. God from day one, from the, I mean, I don't know if it was day one, but from the very beginning of when we rebelled, God is like, I love these broken things. And though they can't come in my presence, I'm from the beginning, I wanna cover them. I wanna make a way for them. There's, uh, if you know the story of the Passover where like they're leaving slavery and the last plague is God's like, I'm gonna kill every firstborn son, which like that's many of us in this room. That's me. I'm gonna kill every firstborn son. But if you kill a lamb, and you put its blood over your door, just like this bloody, wow, that's gnarly. If you put the blood over the door, when my angel comes and kills everyone, I'll pass over your household and you won't die. And God is like, I wanna make a way. I wanna make a way for that lamb is getting killed instead of your son. That's a pretty good deal, right? Who, do you wanna kill a lamb or do you want your son to die? And God has always been like making a way. And so then, they, they, he goes away with them into the wilderness and he gives them Leviticus. And he's like, okay, I wanna make a way for you to know that you can be made right with me. I want you to know that you can come and be with me. And so he starts with these offerings. He starts with these gnarly, bloody, like horrible. I mean, they were probably kids. Like, I love that lamb. And you're like, we have to go take that lamb and it would get slaughtered. And, and God is like, I want to make a way. And so Substitutionary atonement, what, what is that talking about? The first thing is this, a substitution. So the beginning when you would bring your animal, let's say you're like middle class, so you bring your lamb and you bring it before there, it says you lay your hand on its head. So that right there is like, this animal is getting what I deserve. It's, it's gonna be my substitute. I deserve to be punished and this, this animal is gonna take my place. And then you kill it and you cut it in pieces and you burn it completely. And God says, and that process makes you right before me. I will accept you. That thing was your substitute and it makes, it covers, it makes atonement. And, and that idea is actually kind of common, right? Like other religions, they're like, okay, God, the gods are matter. I want to appease them. And so we're going to go and we're going to do all this stuff and we're going to make sacrifices or like we're going to, I mean, if you guys have been, if studied any kind of religion, like we've come up with a lot of crazy stuff, a lot of crazy things to be made right with God. Like we just have, we're like, I wonder if I could do this. I wonder if I did this, if God would accept me. And that's like pretty much every religion. How can I have this peace? How can I be made right with God? And so my question that I wanna ask, this is an honest question, is, is this whole like bloody, gnarly ordeal, this like, this thing God has set up in Leviticus, and I know some of us are like, I honestly, whatever, let's just go to Matthew and things are better. But like, this is who God is. Like God made this. This speaks to God. This speaks to his character. And I, and I want us to ask this question. Is this just like every other religion? Is this just like every other, like, hey, God's mad or God's far away and you got to do these things. And if you do these things, then God will be happy with you. Or at least for a time, right? Like I'm going to do this and I have, I bought some, credit with God and he's going to help me out in battle right now. And is this, I mean, there's a common like word for it. Is this just religion? Is this just like everything else? And, and I, there's some practical things that we're like, okay, obviously I'm not going to do Leviticus anymore. Like I doubt any of us, I know none of us go like slaughter animals and feel better that we're right with God. But I think we have our own Leviticus. I think we have our own things that we do, like, like go to church even on a Friday night, like, dang, I went to church on Friday night. Like, if, that, if there's anything that's going to make God happy with me, who goes to church on Friday night? Uh, maybe it's like, I want to read this book. I'm going to read my Bible. And I'll be honest, like, I usually am like, yeah, I read my Bible. I feel good. I feel like God's probably a little bit happier with me now than before. Uh, another one is like, I tithe. I give my tithes and offerings. When the offering basket comes, I let it like, just take my time, put it in there, like, pass it on, right? Like maybe it's, maybe it's not so much I do things, but it's like I don't do things. Like maybe it's like I'm not going to sin. I'm, gonna, I'm going to not be like them. I think that's in every one of our hearts. That's in like religious people's hearts. And that's also in like rebellious people's hearts. I don't do what they do. And I feel better about myself. Like I feel better because I'm not, at least I'm not like them. And it's kind of like our own version of Leviticus. Like I do these things and I feel 
better about myself. And, and I, we all do that. That's in our hearts. Like, we do that. And so the question, like, is Leviticus, is it just another religion? Is it just like everything else, like in our heart? And I, and I want to say this, this is, because this is so good. The whole Bible and all of these things and these laws and don't do this and you have to do this and you got to kill it. And as we get in Leviticus, it gets really specific and really even like kind of crazy. Like it's got to be just right. Is this just like everything else? And Leviticus and the Old Testament would be just like every other religion if we, if we designed this system to get to God. But I want, I want you to notice this. This book was a gift from God. And this book wasn't humans trying to figure out how we can get right with God. This book is God. Like we learned, if you were here last week, God saying, I wanna be with you I'm going to speak to you and I'm going to make a way for you to be with me. This book, even Leviticus, is God pursuing you. And I want you to think about that. What other religion does that? What other religion does the God go approach people who deserve to be punished and say, I love you and I want to make a way for you to be with me? God, I mean, even the fact, this is so cool. Did God say, okay, this is what you need to do. You need to go catch a gazelle and sacrifice it to me. Good luck. Like, is that what God said? He picked, he picked like the most common thing people had around. God isn't saying, hey, you need to go figure this out and go work hard and then bring it to me. He's like, I want you. And by the way, do you know where they got their animals? They like, they, they plundered the Egyptians. God like made them all scared and they all gave them all these goats and bulls and birds and then they like sent them away. So is God saying, okay, you gotta go find all this stuff, do it for me and then you're right with me. No, he's like, actually, I just gave you a ton of bulls and they're all making babies and there's bulls and cows and like lambs everywhere. I've given this to you. You already have it. I want you to give me some of that. God gave them that system. And do you know what else? From the beginning, I, this is so important. When we, when we try to get right with God, I want to be accepted by God. It can feel impossible. It really can feel like I'm on this treadmill and how am I doing today? And then I wake up tomorrow or I do something wrong and like, crap, I got to keep going. This is, this is not like man's pursuit of God. And, and I actually want you to flip backwards to this story. And this is, gonna, this is gonna be a really helpful story for us. Genesis chapter 22. So back two verses. And I want us to notice this is one of the very first burnt offerings in the Bible. This is one of the very first times um, this comes up. And here's a caveat. This is gonna be a gnarly story. And you're gonna be like, God is actually crazy. But we're gonna get to a good part. If you already know the story, it's, it's great. Um, but let's just try and feel this. So there's a lot of background to it. Can't talk about it now, but let's, let's look at this. Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, like, thanks God, I know, yes, thank you, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. Okay, what in the world? I think that's what it feels like sometimes. Like, I want to follow God. God's like, okay, offer me your son. What? Okay, so, so and this is crazy. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He's like, let's do this. Gets up early. Saddled his donkey, took his young, two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place on which God told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Okay, just how about that next level? I know it's gonna happen to my son and I'm gonna make him carry the wood he's gonna be burned on. He laid it on his son and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb 
for a burnt offering. Abraham said, God will provide for himself. I don't know what he's thinking. Like, I'm just going to lie, I guess. God's going to provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order, in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Like that happened. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. And real quick, I want to just say like, I've been in a place where following God, it felt like that. Like, God, what are you, you're like robbing me of my joy. You're robbing me of life. You're robbing me of the things I care about most. Like, this is crazy. I, I think if you follow God long enough, you're gonna, you're gonna have a moment like this. You're like, what is this? This feels crazy and this feels like religion. Why I have to do all this stuff for you, God? Then verse 10, he reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And, and fast forward to Leviticus. That is a, a really crazy picture of what every person would do to God. Okay, I've sinned. And I know that I've sinned. And I'm going to go get this cow that means a lot, that matters a lot to me. This is like my livelihood. This is an important thing. I'm going to give it to God. And it's going to be completely burned. And I'm going to lose it. But it's this statement of like, God, this is, I, this is crazy. And I don't even really get this. But somehow this bull, like it, you accept it. And it's this, it really what is going on there is this like trust, this statement of like, God, I'll, if you ask me to give my bull, I'll give you my bull. If you ask me to give my son, I'll give you my son. It's what's going on is what's in your heart. And this is a picture of faith, okay? This, Abraham didn't like earn salvation because he offered his son. Abraham didn't, God wasn't like, that's impressive. He just got a hundred salvation points. Like I'm gonna give it to him. What Abraham was doing there was this statement of like, I don't understand this, but I trust you, God. I trust you. And when you were to take your offerings to the tabernacle, you would be like, I don't really get this, but I trust you, God, and I'm going to give you this thing. And if you fast forward before I finish the story to the book of Hebrews, we actually read that anytime a bull was killed, it actually didn't do anything. It actually didn't like make God happy. It wasn't like God wanted a bull and now he's like, yes, I have some bull to smell and now I'm happy. It actually didn't, it didn't do anything. It was the statement of faith, trust. God, I trust you. I will do this. That faith, that act of trust is what God was after. So then let's look at this story. Verse 12, he said, do not lay your hand on the boy. Do anything to him for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So that right there is a really quick picture of what is going on in Leviticus with all of this blood and all of this confusing, like, why do I have to do it this way? And I have to be clean and all of this. It's like God saying, do you trust me? Are you going to do this? Are you expressing trust to me? But here's the main thing. Leviticus, as crazy and as bloody as it is, is never, don't think, and following Jesus is never I got to get my act together and I got to get my sacrifice together and I got to get my wool and cotton and all these laws together and then present it to God. And if I'm lucky, God will accept me. That is not what's happening in Leviticus. Leviticus is God providing a way for humans who are unholy to be made right with him. 
And if you haven't seen it yet, this is all a major arrow to Jesus. And this is all, all of these sacrifices, this story is a picture of from the beginning, God is like, I'm in the business of going after sinful people and providing for them a way for them to be with me. And the book of Leviticus was that for a time and it didn't last because it didn't actually do anything. But there was a day, think about this, where God was like Abraham and he's like, you know what? I love them and this isn't working. I'm gonna give my son and I'm not gonna withhold my son, my only son, whom I love. I'm going to give him and he will be like a burnt offering. He had to be a male without blemish. Jesus was perfect. Literally never sinned. Literally obeyed everything in Leviticus that we're gonna read. And Jesus was like Isaac, this son, who, trip out on this, who carried the wood that he was gonna die on, on his back, and went up a mountain. And Abraham got to hear God say, hey, don't do it. But Jesus was actually not only physically killed, he, as that offering was completely burnt up, that burning is so gnarly. And it's this picture of, of the punishment that an unholy person deserves being completely consumed. There's a word for that. It's like wrath. God's holy. And when, when this thing comes in my presence, it will be 100% consumed. And that is a picture of like, dang, God is so holy and we are not. On the cross, Jesus didn't just physically like die. He, as that offering was burned, he, all of the wrath of God for your sin and my sin that we committed like today, Jesus, all of that, it was completely burnt up like an offering, 100%. Jesus offered himself for my sin and your sin. And do you know what's good news? It was accepted and it was an acceptable offering. And Hebrews goes on to say, hey, you don't need to make an offering anymore. You don't need to go get your bull. You don't need to go do all of these things. And if you do good enough job, then God is gonna accept you. The, the book of Hebrews says Jesus was enough. Like the fact that he was completely burned, the fact that he received all the wrath of God for my sin, that was enough. And now I can be made accepted by God. Now, that's not like do all these things and then Jesus' blood covers you. It's like, I can't do it. I'm sinful. And God is like, I'm going to make the way. I'm going to send my own son. And I'm going to, he's actually going to receive all the punishment that you deserve. And, and here's a, a side note that, because that sounds crazy. And, and you'll even hear someone say, honestly, like Christianity is so gnarly. It's like divine child abuse. Like God's killing his son. Like that's, that's what you worship, the, the God who's that mad that he kills his son. That's like, it's a hard question. That's something that you're gonna hear. That's something that people are gonna say, this is crazy. Substitutionary atonement isn't really in the Bible. But here's the difference because unlike Abraham and Isaac, Jesus didn't get like tricked and bound and killed. Remember, who's Jesus again? Like he's God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. So God himself offered his life for you. He didn't get tricked into it. It's not some angry God killing his son. It's God saying, I'll take your place. I am holy and you are sinful, but I will take your place. I will take your punishment on myself. Jesus said this in John 10, 18. He's, he says, no one takes my life from me. No one, not even the father. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. So Jesus was God and he was like, I know what I'm doing and I'm gonna do it. And here's like a, I don't know why I thought of this. I was like, what is this like? Have, have you guys ever seen the movie Pocahontas? Maybe, maybe not, old school. I realized I was like six when it came out. So I loved it. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, so Pocahontas, the movie, and I remember actually being, however old I was, 
watching the movie and there's like John Smith and there's a thing happening and then like the bad guys, we're gonna go kill the Indians and then there's this moment where like the captain like is gonna shoot the chief and John Smith like dives in front and like takes the bullet. I literally remember like my little six-year-old self was like, no, what are you doing? And John Smith like offers his life and that like honestly stuck with me. Like that was insane. And I'll propose this. Any good movie you see that has a hero, it's always this sacrificial love that is like the pinnacle of what rescuing and being a hero looks like. It's always sacrificial love. Inside Out, I've seen Inside Out. You know, and the little elephant is like, let's go. And then he doesn't go. And you're like, no, what are you doing? And he's just in the abyss. If you've seen the movie, you're just like, why God? Like, that's, I don't know. That's what I was like. Why did the elephant have to die? That, the cross is like that. The cross isn't like someone shoved John Smith in front and you're like, oh, that's a bummer. Like, the elephant didn't get tricked. It was Jesus saying, I know what I'm about to do. I know that they're sinful and I still love them. And I'm gonna go lay my life down so that they can be made right with me because I love them and I want to be with them. We see that from Leviticus. We see it from Genesis and we see it all the way through the Bible. God's heart is I love you even though you are not holy and I want to make a way for you to be with me. So Jesus is the perfect burnt offering. And I'll just spoil every sermon. You guys, Jesus is like the key. to as we go through Leviticus, and it's so weird. Like, no, wait, I see this points to Jesus. Now, to like end before we worship, I, I just want to address, I think there's like two basic people right now hearing this. Uh, if you're a Christian or not, there's basically two people right now. There's some of us who are like, Honestly, yeah, I know that. I know that's true. But like in, in your heart, in my heart, you're like, I, I don't think I'm that bad. Like I don't feel this need to get the wrath of God, like burning, consuming, like I'm not that bad. And to be honest, that's, that's my default. That's when I wake up, I'm like, I'm doing all right. I'm doing pretty awesome. Like that's my default. That's how I think about life. And then there are others of us who are like, hey, you don't need to preach at me that I'm a sinner and I'm not holy. Like I know, I wake up and I just feel condemned and I feel dirty and I, and I just think about my mistakes and I just honestly feel wrecked. Like, you don't need to convince me. And um, I think this, this, this good news that God wa- loves sinners kind of challenges and encourages both of us. And I wanna address really quickly those like me who are like, I'm, f- I'm doing okay, I'm fine. Um, you need to, we have to realize like we were bad enough that God had to die. Like, it was that bad. Like, we were bad enough. My sin, my sin was bad enough that God had to die. And no amount of my good deeds and no amount of my, like, righteous, I'm gonna read this book and I'm gonna do all the right things. Like, it doesn't make me right before God. Like, even raising my hands in worship, like, giving my money to the poor, It doesn't make me right before God. God is so holy that God had to die. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And I think this isn't going to be good news for you until you're willing to look at your situation for what it really is. Like you're sinful enough that God had to die. You're that bad. And and so if you're the other group, just like you're like, oh my gosh. This is for like, this is people like me. I'm like, I'm doing fine. I'm doing a really good job. And I lived so many years of my life this way. Honestly, I did. I would do these things and I would go out on Friday nights when there wasn't, actually there was a college group, but I was like, "Mm, I'm not going to that. I'm gonna go give my things away to homeless people. And I would go back to my dorm and I would just like look at people playing video games and think, you're so selfish. I just gave all of my money and food away to homeless people. And I was like, I'm awesome. Like, how wicked does that sound? But that was my heart. Like, I'm, I'm better than these people. I don't, I'm not that bad. Uh, there's this verse in Isaiah to religious people, like some of us, and it says, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. And just to get, a little bit graphic because you guys are in college or your 20s. That polluted garment is a, like, a menstrual rag. 
That's literally what that is. The best thing you can offer to God is like handing him a used tampon. That's actually what the Bible literally says. The most righteous, best thing you've ever done. When you're like, God, look at me, I'm awesome. He's like, I don't want that. I don't. It's the best. Honestly, think about that. Like, Mother Teresa and all of her things. It's just like, wow, that's just a lot of those, a lot of menstrual rags. Thank you for them. Like, I don't care if you've... So yeah, so I don't even mean that to be funny. But the best thing I can offer God is that. When I want to justify myself, God's holy and I'm not so like, I'm going to do all this stuff. That's what I'm doing. And I have to realize that I need to repent of actually like my religious deeds. I need to repent of all the times when I did all these good things. Because I think we'd all, if we're honest, we, we know like, I know my heart. I know when I went home, I felt I was better than people. I knew I wasn't perfect. I just thought I was a little bit better. So it made me better. At the end of the day, we religious people need to repent of anything good you've ever done. It's never going to make you right with God. It will never justify you before God. You're like, you're a lot worse than that. And God is a lot more holy. And the only way for you to be made right with God is God had to die and be punished in your place. And then there's other, others of us who, um, you, yeah, you're like, I know I'm not holy. I know I'm not righteous. In fact, like every time when I come into worship, all I can hear in my head are my sins and how I'm not worthy. And like, why would I be here right now? Why would I be worshiping God? What would God ever want to do with me? And I want you to know, like, you aren't in a special class of, like, uncleanness and sinful. And in fact, the Bible has a lot more, like, dangerous things, warnings to people who think they're okay. Like, you actually may be in a closer spot in your heart to, to receive the grace of God for you. There's this story of, like, a parable of this Pharisee, and he's like, God, thank you that you help me to fast, and I give you everything. And, and then there's this sinner over here, and he's like, I'm not even going to draw near, and he's on his knees. And he always says, God, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, that man went home justified. If you are like, I am so, I know my sin in myself, you are in a perfect spot to hear that God loves you and died for you so that you could be made with him and made clean and be forgiven. All of God's wrath was poured on Jesus so that you could know him. And you're, in, you're like, you're so close. If you're like, I can't, I don't know, I'm so bad. Like Jesus died for you. That's why he came. He came to seek and to save the lost. And so how we're gonna close is um, I just want us to I want to like say one last word for us on this, this thing of like acceptance because that's in our heart. That's the deepest thing. Even if we don't realize it, like how can I be made right with God? That's in us. That's what drives us. Um, we just heard that God gracious. In fact, I, I missed this verse. Let me, let me sum up everything I've said with this verse. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. If you want to be made right with God, it's not about your works. It's not about your life. You have to receive the gift of God. You have to receive the gift of God. Um, and here's just the last word. I, and I was, as I was finishing my notes, I was just kind of thinking about like acceptance. And we have this need, this like desire to be accepted. Um, most of us are in our 20s or like whatever that range is, 18 to 30. And um, there are like two really amazing gifts of God that God's given us that uh, at this age can be like, we just have to be really careful with. Um, and the first one is this, a romantic relationship. And then the second one is community. Those things right now at this stage of our life, we're like, okay, yeah, yeah, I know you're talking about God, but like honestly what I want in life is to be married or to have a boyfriend or to have a girlfriend, to have that person. Like, that's cool, but like, this is what I really long for. Or, or others of you, you may have that, you may not, but you're like, honestly, at the end of the day, like, I just want to belong somewhere. Like, I want to be accepted. I want that feeling 
that we've all had at some point in our life of like, I can be myself and people are down and like, it's okay and I'm accepted. Like we just, that's in us. And let me say, those are awesome gifts of God. God made romantic relationships and marriage and he made community and friendships and, and we are allowed to pursue those things. But I think, and I've seen and I've felt that those two things, those like get in between our vision of like, acceptance in the Lord. Um, I just, I have to say like you, if you don't have the acceptance of the Lord, knowing I've been brought in and I'm loved, no matter what, like God loves me, like you, you will never be satisfied in like any romantic relationship. You will be looking for something from that person that you, you cannot get. Like, you, you're like, why won't you just accept me? Why won't you just love me? Like, I need this acceptance. And when, when we're in that spot, like, we just slowly, like, crush and squeeze the life. And that person honestly can't handle it. They weren't designed to, like, satisfy that in you. They, it, it's not gonna last. And it's the same thing for community and friendships. If we're like, oh, I just need to be accepted. If, if we don't have this place of, like, I'm accepted by the Lord and, like, I'm actually okay, then every friendship we have, like, we'll just squeeze it and we'll want, I need, I, like, I need to belong here. And every time we get offended or every time we get rejected, every breakup, like, it'll, it'll wreck us really, really deeply. And I, I just say that out of love for you that, and, and maybe it sounds cliche, but like, your heart actually needs the acceptance that comes from Jesus. And, and let me just say that acceptance is never ending. Like, it keeps coming. When you mess up, when you don't do a good job, when you fail, when you go rebel, like Jesus is like, hey, I still love you. And I love you because of my blood, not because you did a good job. And he will continue to pour out. You're like, that is where you are gonna be filled up inside. And, and if you have that, like that is the foundation for any marriage or any friendship. It just is because I can be satisfied and I'm accepted by the Lord. And I'm okay, I don't like need you, but I love you. And I'm in a really good spot to like love you and ask you how, you how are you doing and like what can I do for you and how can I pour out to you? And that is the way a relationship will flourish. And so just um, as we have this time of worship for, second, for our second set, it'll be, what time is it? We're gonna have like, I don't know, 40 or so minutes to, to like just sit and rejoice in the fact that like you can be accepted by God, not because of anything you've ever done, because God is like, I'm gonna make a way for you. I love you enough that I'm gonna make a way for you to be with me. Um, and we have a couple things, you maybe, aren't, maybe aren't used to this, or maybe you're like, I don't know if I really want to. We have like these carpets up here and just more than enough room to lay down because our bodies like actually affect how we meet with the Lord. And this is like for you to be on your knees or to lay on your face and to just like, yes, God, you love me. Thank you, God. Um, we're gonna have people, I think wearing some like prayer team lanyards, like a couple on both sides, kind of tucked in this little zone. If you want privacy, that's the privacy zone. That's like the everyone can look at you zone. And <laughs> we like, we actually do need people to support us and to pray for us and to encourage us. And I, I know right now that, that many of us are like this thing in me, it makes me feel like so dirty or so not holy. And it makes me feel like it's between me and the Lord. And the Bible says, hey, you confess your sin. And like, you're going to be forgiven. You're going to be accepted. Not because you confess your sin, but as you confess it, and then that person's like, hey, that's what Jesus died for. You're loved. It brings like actual healing to your like soul and to your body and to your life. So we're going to have people here just to pray for you. Um, some old people, some young people, Pick your, pick your choice, whatever you want, whatever, how you want to pray for. Um, and, and I'll also say this. We, we like you guys, can, can minister to one another. Like, in fact, you are all priests. If you're a Christian, like the Bible says, this is a priesthood of all believers. And you guys are able to minister to each other. You guys will be better, like, ministers than, than like, to your friends than a stranger. Like, you guys know. So if you know someone's, like, going through something, like, actually pray for them. Actually Ask them how they're doing. You guys could just go in any row, anywhere you need. Like, spend some time and, and like, we need each other. Pray for one another. I really encourage you guys 
to do that. So we're just going to make space for us to like pursue and more than anything, just thank the Lord that he's made a way that right now you, no matter what you've done, can be with God. He has made a way through the blood of Jesus, through this bloody, hard, gnarly, like what the heck Leviticus, like that was the cross. And he's done that for us. So I'm going to pray for us and um, we're just going to have time to be with him. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. God, I know what it feels like to, to like not feel accepted by you. Um, I know what it feels like to, to be trusting in my own righteousness to be accepted by you. And I know how exhausting that is and frustrating. And Lord, we just thank you that even in Leviticus, we see that God, you are God who pursues sinners and makes a way for them to be with you. Thank you, Jesus, that you carry that cross on your back and that you took our place as that burnt offering and all the wrath of God was completely burned up on you and and there's none left for us if we've trusted in you. Thank you that this isn't like every other religion. This isn't like, man, today, how am I doing with the Lord? It's because of Jesus 2,000 years ago, I'm fully accepted by the Lord. God, help us to believe that. I just pray for this time of worship. Help us to be honest with each other. More importantly, honest with you. God, I ask that you'd send your spirit right now to bring freedom. Lord, like we really want to this place to be this place of freedom where we can worship you and sing to you and dance to you and, and go be anywhere in this room and like cry out to you. We don't, we don't have anything to hide. We don't need to like put on our fig leaves anymore. We're accepted by you. So I just pray for freedom now. I ask Holy Spirit that you would fill this place and we could thank you for what you have done, that you have pursued us and made a way for us by the blood of Jesus. You just minister to us now, Lord. We love you.